Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. The book of James chapter 1, if you will stand please, I'm just going to read the first few verses, although we're going to be looking at uh, quite a few this morning. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be uh, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubt, and for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You may be seated. I want to talk with you a little bit this morning about trials. Trials. In fact, uh, in James uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 2, all the way through verse 20. Yeah, verse 20 is about trials. Uh, it's about trials. And, and the three things that we can take from uh, verses 2 through verse 20 are this. Expect trials, accept trials, overcome trials. Expect Accept and overcome. Because here's the thing. James tells us in verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if, not, not if it may happen, but when it happens. If you are a believer, you will face trials. Uh, you are in this world, you are not of this world. The enemy is the enemy of your soul. The Bible says that the thief has come not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He doesn't like you, he doesn't care for you. If you know Christ is Lord and Savior, he wants to get rid of you, steal your joy, steal your hope, destroy your purpose. He wants to do to you whatever he possibly can to stop you. And so therefore, we must expect trials. And here's the thing, God allows trials to happen for a reason. So God allows trials. Now you're going to see as we go through here, different times where the word trials and temptation are used. And we're going to point out the um, differences as we get through there, and I'm going to try to, uh, to keep it as unconfusing as possible. Uh, but the first key is to expect trials. Amen. If you are a believer in Christ and you are not facing trials, that you need to take a hard, cold look at what it is that you're doing with your life. Are you cold in your relationship with God? Have you allowed yourself to drift apart from Him? Because here's the deal. The devil will attack those that he is fearful of. Amen. Those who are on fire for God. Those who have a purpose. Those who have a great calling. Those who... God has a great purpose for the enemy will attack. If you are a believer, God has a purpose for you, the enemy will attack you. If you are a believer, God has a purpose for you, and he will allow trials to come into your life so that you can be transformed by those trials. Amen. 
And so James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I don't know about you, but it, it's not in my human nature to rejoice in tribulation. To simply just accept trials and rejoice that those trials came my way. Uh, I don't rejoice in trials. I get mad and angry and frustrated and I pray and yell and, you know, scream and holler because I don't like going through trials. Why? Because trials stink. <laughs> trials are terrible. Trials are not fun. Trials are not meant to be a pleasurable experience. Uh, but listen, nothing, uh, when you live a life that's just nothing but pleasure and peace and comfort and joy, you become soft. Yeah, I become soft. I live a life of luxury when I eat my food and I am soft. You poke my belly, I giggle like the Pil Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> Why? Because I am soft in that I just have indulged in food. I haven't put in the, game, the, 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 the uh, work and the effort to lose weight, to put in those gains, to get a six-pack, to be, you know, incredibly handsome like my wife wants me to be like Thor. I haven't done those things. I haven't put in that effort. I have not put in that. Why? Because it hurts. Just dieting is a pain, right? Why? Because you're giving up something. You're taking something away from you, something that satisfies you, something that brings some sort of peace or joy or semblance of relief for a second. The chocolate cake, mm -hmm. right? Whatever chocolate yes. dessert that is. So, for me, soda. I love some RC Cola. I'm giving up those things and it hurts and it's meant to hurt because anything worth accomplishing requires effort and pain. Otherwise, we just coast through life and we never get anywhere. And God loves us way too much to not allow us to face trials to grow us. And when we will not grow ourselves, God will grow us for us. He will add whatever is necessary to the mix of our lives so that you and I grow and bear fruit. We talked about that a few weeks ago when we looked at the book of John. He'll do what's necessary. He will prune and move you so that you and I will bear fruit, even though it's uncomfortable sometimes. Mm -hmm. So we need to expect trials. Mm -hmm. We need to accept trials. And take it one step further, we need to rejoice in trials. When you and I go through trials, people are watching and not only should we rejoice for what those trials will produce, we should rejoice because people are watching. And when they watch you rejoice in spite of pain and suffering and hurt and let down, right? They will wonder how you are able to do that. How are you able to rejoice in the midst of? How are you able to count it all joy in the midst of pain and suffering? The only way that you and I can do it is a Savior named Jesus Christ. And so they'll ask questions. How are you able to do this? And the answer is always Christ because it's not us. Amen. It's Christ in us. It's the Holy Spirit in us that helps us to rejoice. And we rejoice because we know. We know that God has a purpose and a plan.
Now, it's very hard. It's easy for a preacher to get up or a speaker to get up and talk about God's purpose and pain. When they're not experiencing your pain. Right? Uh, I don't know what you're facing in your life. I don't know all of your pain. I don't know all of your hurt. I don't know what you're all going through right now. And so it's easy when the pastor gets up and talks about there's purpose in your pain. There's purpose in your suffering. There's purpose in your trials. And you think, you don't know my trial. And I don't. I don't know all of your trials. I can tell many times when you're hurting, I can... You know, no, there are times when I feel to, to pray stronger for you, but I don't know all of your trials and everything that you're going through. And so you say, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what I'm going through. And that's true. But there is one who does know what you're going through, who faced what you faced. The Bible says he was tempted in all points, just like man, yet he was without sin. And that's Jesus Christ. He faced trials greater than you're facing right now in your life, I guarantee it, and yet he overcame. And he who overcame lives inside of you, and he who overcame uh, will help you overcome. Why? Because it tests our faith. Now, the word testing there literally means proof. Now, I am not a very good writer. Uh, In fact, I can barely speak the English language. Uh, I'm just not very skilled in that area. My older brother is an absolutely amazing writer. In fact, he teaches, uh, he teaches writing specifically in college. Uh, he is amazing the way that he can express himself and the way that he can write. And one of the things uh, I did when I was in high school and I would write a paper is you would have someone proof it. Right? Now, what is the purpose of someone proofreading your paper? Is it to tell you how great you did all over your paper? Is it to tell you that you're the best writer since, you know, uh, Ernest Hemingway? Is it to tell you? No, the reason that you have someone proof your paper is to point out all of the flaws. Mm -hmm. Your grammatical mistakes. Your spelling mistakes. All of the mistakes to point out run-on sentences, to point out where your thoughts are not being articulated correctly, where the reader can't understand where you're coming from. Point out all the mistakes. That's what proofreading does. You take that red pen to it, and you go all over it. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. It's just a draft. Mm -hmm. The draft has a bigger purpose than the final product. But before it can get to the final product that you're ready to turn in and get an A, you need to have someone else on the outside of you read that paper and grade it, you know, look at it and mark it up and tell you what's wrong with it. Someone who's more knowledgeable than you, perhaps. Maybe they know more about the subject or maybe they know, have more skill in writing. Now, when you get that paper back, you have a choice. You can get mad, rip it up, and and ignore all of their feedback and get a bad grade, most likely, from the teacher. You can get your feelings hurt. You can get offended. Boy, offended. You can get offended, right, and not take what has been shown to you that needs to be corrected. Or you take it. You incorporate all of the feedback, all of the comments, all of that red ink that was placed all over your lovely draft, and 
you make it into something better. When God causes you and I, when he allows trials to come into our lives, he's proofing us. He's allowing us, he's taking the red ink to us. Because you're a draft, and I'm a draft. I'm not the final product yet. I'm not going to be the final product till I get to heaven someday, and I'm walking on streets of gold, and my body's been glorified, and I've been completely changed. So right now, you're a walking draft. And every once in a while, God's got to come in with the red pen. And he needs to say, you need to take off a little something here. You need to add a little something here. You're focusing a little too much here. You know, he's got to come in there with the red ink and mark you up a little bit and let you know where you need to change. And sometimes that red ink hurts. It's embarrassing. I am a terrible speller. And one of the things that was so embarrassing in high school, we didn't have word processing like you have it today. It didn't check for spelling mistakes. It didn't check for grammatical errors. And you would, I would turn in a paper uh, and I would have tons of misspellings in it. And I would be so embarrassed. Of course, I would not be embarrassed enough to do anything about it and actually look up the words before I put them in there. Uh, but it would still, still be embarrassing when the teacher would, you know, send it back to you in some four-letter word that should have been easy for you to spell. Somehow you managed to mess it up, right? You misspelled it. Um, and it would be embarrassing. Sometimes that red ink is embarrassing. It exposes something that we didn't want the world to see. It exposes something that we've hidden way down deep inside that we don't want anyone else to know about. In fact, we don't ever even want to hear about it again. And God has to get this red ink pen out and mark us up and say, you need to take a look at this and you need to get it under the blood. Right? And that's what trials do. They're God's markup pen. It's his red ink pen where he points out to you and I through trials where we are weak and where we are strong, letting us know that there's always room for change. He tests us. He proofs us. He, he uh, uh, proofs our faith. And so then that proofing produces something new. A new draft. Is it the finished paper yet? No. But is it better than it used to be? Absolutely. And that's the purpose of trials in our lives, is to make us better and better and better and better. To change us. To constantly uh, continue to mold us in the image of Christ. For whom God foreknown, he predestined to be made in the image of his Son. And that's the purpose of trials they produce patience, and when patience has its perfect work, you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Meaning someday I will stand before the Father absolutely perfect. That day is not today, and that day is not tomorrow, and that day is not, you know, uh, at the end of this week. That day is somewhere down the road. I'm not close to being perfect, and you're not close to being perfect. And as long as we're imperfect, we must expect trials and God to get out and mark us with red ink every once in a while to let us know where we need to change. Now remember we're talking about trials here. And so he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Wisdom in trials is absolutely critical. You can have knowledge about how you're supposed to do something, but if you never act upon that knowledge, then it's useless. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. 
I know a lot of people in the field that I'm in particularly. There are a lot of people with higher degrees than I have, uh, more certifications than I have, but they don't have the experience that I have. So I've been doing this for over 20 years. They've been doing it for three years, but they have a master's degree. I can tell you that with all that knowledge, if you can't apply the knowledge, then it's useless in the real world. Amen. Because I can tell you that what your textbook says should happen in this environment will not always happen the way it's written in the textbook. And you've got to make changes and you've got to adapt on the fly. You've got to be able to take the knowledge and apply the knowledge and be able to adapt in that situation with the knowledge that you have, and that's wisdom. And God says if you have all the knowledge, but you're incapable in the midst of trial to act upon that knowledge, ask him for wisdom and he'll give it to you. Amen. That's what he's talking about here. Ask him for the ability to understand how to apply the biblical knowledge that you have stored up to the trial that you're facing. Wow. That's wisdom. And he says, ask God, and God will give it to you liberally. He'll make sure that you have so much wisdom, you have wisdom left over. But how many of you, and how many, how many times have I, in the midst of trials, asked God for wisdom? I never ask for wisdom. I ask for relief. Get me out of this as fast as humanly possible. In fact, God, why don't you work a divine miracle and get me out of it right now? <laughs> yep. I don't stop and say, well, God, maybe there's something for me to learn here. And even though I've been studying your word for all of these years, would you give me wisdom on how to apply that knowledge to this situation? I wished I could tell you that I did that. In all my years of trials and facing trials, I may have done that a handful of times where I was in a state of mind where I was capable of saying, God, help me take what I memorized as a kid and all this word and all this study and let me apply it in the midst of this trial. That's wisdom. And when God wants you and I to not always ask for deliverance. He wants us to ask for wisdom. He wants us to ask for wisdom. How do I apply the knowledge? If you don't take anything else with you today, take that with you. In the midst of trials, pray for wisdom instead of deliverance. That should be your priority. Wisdom. Because with the application, the proper application of God's word in a trial will lead to deliverance. But as long as I'm only praying for deliverance, I will not learn to apply God's word and I will never learn the lesson that God is trying to teach me in my trial. And the Bible says that when you ask God for wisdom, you need to do so in faith without doubting. So don't do so with a flippant attitude. Like, oh God, give me wisdom. But first deliver me. Right? Deliver me and then give me wisdom. Right? Half-heartedly asking for that wisdom. Because he says, if you ask half-heartedly, you're a double-minded man. Mm -hmm. Meaning that you've got one foot in the world and you've got one foot with God and you've got to decide which way you're going to go. And if you're, you're caught between the world and God, God does not hear you, nor does he answer your prayers. That's what it says in James chapter 1. You've got one foot in the world and you've got one foot with God. 
God doesn't hear you nor answer your prayers. You've got to be all in. The only prayer he hears is the prayer to ask for forgiveness and mercy. And the Bible says specifically here, you're a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways, and you will not receive anything from the Lord. So if you're in the midst of trial, and you are not asking for wisdom and faith, if you're not asking with a pure heart and pure motives, and with that desire to be uh, made uh, more in the image of Christ, and to be changed by the power of God's word and the situation that you're facing, God is not going to hear you. And it's actually an act of his mercy that he doesn't always just deliver us all the time. Because if he just delivered us all the time, instead of learning how to live in the midst of trials and growing in our faith and growing uh, in, in, uh, you know, in our character, uh, what would happen is we would just see God as a God in a box that we open up every once in a while when we need something. Amen. And God wants us, doesn't want us to treat him that way. He then goes on in the verse 9 to talk about the rich and the poor and how that the rich face trials and the poor face trials. Exalt in both. So uh, poor folks, glory in your exaltation that you were found worthy to face trials. Uh, rich folks, glory in the fact that you're facing trials and what you have has been taken away because you can't take it with you. That's what he says. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, and but the rich in his humiliation. So glory when you face trials. So rich guy, if you're facing trials and you're suffering, glory in that trial, glory in your humiliation. Why? Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. Meaning all of your stuff that you have is going to go away. You can't take it with you. So glory anyway. See, that's the thing. Trials have no, uh, they, you don't face trials based on your social class or status. If you're poor, you face trials. If you're rich, if you face trials. The thing that you have in common is God. So therefore, glory, you know, it is the great equalizer. Salvation and facing those trials does no respecter of persons. So the poor don't have to feel dejected because they're the only one that faces trials, and the rich should glory because they were counted worthy also to face trials. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. When you and I endure temptation, the Bible promises as you and I continue to be made in the image of Christ, we will earn the crown of life, that's eternal life. The crown of life is eternal life. Which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Now, the man who endures temptation in verse 12, that word temptation would be better translated trials, not temptation. It literally means trials. So blessed is the man who endures trials, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Now there's a distinction there. Because here's what happens. In your trial, you become tempted to sin. Right? Um, I know for me, when I get into a, uh, where I'm depressed, 
and I'm really having one of those down times for whatever reason, the imbalance in my head, the chemical imbalance, whatever it is, I become self-destructive. And I be get tempted to sin in the midst of that situation. Right? When you're in the midst of trial, there is the temptation to sin will always show up. Doubt God. Question God's goodness. Maybe something more, more uh, um, what's the right word? More obvious, like uh, uh, being tempted to, to go out and drink and get drunk or to do drugs. Something to relieve that. To seek something outside of God for your relief. For your peace, for your joy, for your comfort. That temptation to sin. And that's what's being talked about here. And he says, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor he himself tempt anyone. So in the midst of your trial, even though God allows the trial, God is not tempting you to sin. He's challenging you to be better. He's challenging you to grow. He's challenging you to be better. He's not tempting you to sin. Why? Because it is the enemy who tempts you to sin. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now that word drawn away is used in the Greek to talk about catching big game. Like trying to catch, uh, you know, anybody who hunts. Um, uh, the, uh, the, we have a family member who hunts. He uses dogs. And what they do is they use those dogs to chase the deer towards you. Right? They're drawing them away from their safe zone and chasing them right into the barrel of a gun. That's what this is talking about, drawing something away from where it's safe and then pouncing on it. The problem is, is that when we set the trap, when it comes to temptation and sin, we actually bait the trap with our own desires. So we're drawn away by a trap in the midst of trials, not because of anything God's done, but because we baited the trap beforehand with our own sinful desires. And that trap is baited and it looks delicious when you are facing trials because you want relief. And I find peace and I find comfort in areas that I should not find peace and comfort in because I want a distraction. That desire, God did not create the desire to sin. That desire is mine. And I put it right on the rat trap. And then like a dummy... When trials come, it begins to look real tasty. And I go for it. And the Bible says here, then when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings death. So I am drawn away by my own desires. And when I act on those desires, when that desire is conceived, I act upon it. That brings sin, and sin always leads to death. Always. Something will always die and suffer because of sin in your life. Will kill relationships because of sin. We lash out and hurt people because of sin. Sin will always result in death. Even though you and I may not see it as such at first. But it always results in death. Of course, ultimately that being eternal death. 
Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So in the midst of your trial, know this. That sin, God is tempting you to sin. You're tempting yourself. It was already there. That desire that you kept secret in your heart was already there. You acted upon it. Uh, you were tempted because it was already there, not because God allowed it to be there. He allowed the trial, not the temptation. But then he goes on to say, in the midst of trials, in the midst of trials, and then the temptation on top of that trial, know this, don't be deceived. God gives good gifts. And only God gives good gifts. Every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father light. So the one thing that you have to look forward to is good gifts from the Father when you come out the other side of the trial. When you come out the other side of the trial, you know that every good gift, so hold on, make it through, ask for wisdom, and God will bless you. Because he is the one who gives every good gift. And God never changes. It says there is no variation or shadow of turning. As the earth rotates, it, as it, the earth rotates, it appears to you and I that the sun, the moon, the stars are turning. We're moving so slow that we don't recognize that the earth is turning, but it looks to us as if the moon is moving and the sun is moving and the stars are moving. And so we look up in the heavens and it looks like the sun and the moon and the stars are changing places. Of course, they're not. What God is saying here is it may look up in the heavens if things are changing places and moving, but I never change, and I never move, and my purposes never change, and my will for you never changes. I love you. I've called you. I have a purpose for you. I have good gifts for you. Just hold on through the trial. Because of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that he might be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. God saved you for a purpose. You're a kind of first fruit. Meaning he saved you. He loves you. He cares about you. And he will give you good things. He will bless you. He will keep you. He will protect you. In the midst of trials. No matter how they rage about you. Because he cannot be tempted to sin. He does not tempt you to sin. He will give you wisdom if you ask for that wisdom. And he will make sure that you are rewarded when you make it through. Well, you can't ask for anything more than that. But we've got to take time to focus on God's word. Here is the promise that God gives. You will have faced trials. You glory in those trials because of what those trials will produce. They will, you know, and then overcome those trials. And you don't have to overcome those trials by yourself. God will help you overcome those trials. But you cannot, God cannot help you and I overcome a trial if we run from him. If we try to hide from him, even if it's subconsciously hiding from him. He cannot assist us, be there for us, or over, help us overcome if we are not there with him. If we're pouting, if we're angry, if we're frustrated, if we've allowed our faith to be, we've allowed ourselves to question our faith in him and his goodness and his greatness and his mercy, then God cannot help us overcome says, 
So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. If you want to make it through trials, you need to be listening for God's voice. You've got to stop whining all the time and not get mad. Listen for God's voice, stop whining, and don't get mad. That's how you make it through trials. That's how you overcome. And God, all the way through here, promises that he will help you overcome. If you'll ask. He says, I will give you wisdom, and I will give you wisdom with liberality. All the wisdom you could need, plus some, to make it through, if you will simply ask with faith. He's not asking you to make it on your own. He's not asking for you to you know, strive and do it all on your own. He's there. He just wants you to ask for wisdom and fight. Fight through it. Count it all joy. Expect it, accept it, overcome it. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.